Hey, good. Oh, sorry. Good evening, everybody. Um, so Bill is gone. He's preaching at the is it the Alpine Church of Christ. So he's preaching at the Alpine Church of Christ. So y'all have me this evening as the MC. Um, I want to welcome Kelly Tomasi is going to be our speaker this evening. He is the college minister at the Weatherford Church of Christ, the uh, Southwestern Oklahoma State University, the place that Elizabeth and I came from. Go dogs once again. Um, so super excited to have him with us. Um, I, I like to tell people that I hired him, basically, because I was an intern pre him being there, and then the uh, deacon in charge of the college ministry called me to ask what I, uh, what I thought about Kelly. And so I, I gave the thumbs up, I guess, and uh, he's been there, you said, four years now? Almost four. Uh, so... Uh, we had a lot of, lot of fun times, a lot of good times, and uh, a lot of spiritual growth, and I'm thankful to have him still as a mentor, being able to talk to him about ministry and uh, a brother in Christ and, and just a, a really, really good friend, and so we're excited to have him with us this evening. Um, I was asked to announce that Jack Paul had a stroke and is hospitalized. Um, we don't know any further details, but uh, just be, be keeping Jack in your prayers, so... On that note, let's, uh, let's go, go to God in prayer. Father God, we, we just come before you humbly and thankfully uh, for this, this avenue of communication that we have. Lord, we know that we're undeserving, and yet we're still able to. And so we thank you uh, that we're able to talk to you. Father, we look forward to this evening. We look forward to uh, spending time with one another, getting to hear the message from Kelly. And Lord, we pray that... Uh, the Spirit would just be speaking and working through Kelly this evening as he delivers the message. Um, just be with all of us. Lord, we pray for Jack uh, with this news that we found out today. And we just pray for his recovery and that they would be able to uh, just take good care of him as he's hospitalized. And uh, Lord, we just pray for a swift recovery and, and healing. Father, we love you and we thank you again for all that you've done for us. And uh, we just pray your blessing on this evening. It's in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, it's certainly good to be with you guys this evening. I want to thank you guys for inviting me uh, to come and participate in this summer series. And I'm always, it's always a joy of mine to speak to other churches and kind of get a feel and just meet other brothers in Christ and other people. And so, uh, but what's kind of strange, and Elizabeth was even commenting on this as well, our worlds are all colliding, which is so strange. You know, there's a Swasu Weatherford Church of Christ world that I'm very much connected with, with them. I'm seeing the Stone Boys, who I met last year at Lariat Creek at Senior Session, and meeting some of the new youth as well that I think I'm going to meet here at Senior Session in a few weeks, and then meeting the Carters for the first time, and so it's just, the worlds are all colliding, and it's just strange, and so it's kind of taken me a, a little bit back, but I'm so thankful to be here. I'm from Denver originally, so um, I am not a Southern boy, but I went to Oklahoma Christian, uh, moved down there in 05. My wife's from Tulsa. Uh, I was a youth minister in the Edmond Church of Christ in Oklahoma for five years. And then my wife and I went to uh, uh, plant a church or help plant a church in Brazil. And the Park Plaza Church of Christ, or the Park Church of Christ, where Bryce and Kelsey are, um, that, they were our sponsoring church. And my wife grew up there as well. So just the worlds are just all coming together, and it's just very strange. But I've been in Weatherford, yeah, for four years now, and it's just been such a joy to be there. And I'm, such a, I'm just very excited to be with you all this evening. I know Mitch Wilburn, I think, is coming either next week or in a couple weeks. I saw that. Uh, love Mitch. I am not Mitch. If you've heard Mitch speak, and I don't want to fill his head too much, but I am not Mitch Wilburn. But I love Mitch, and I know you guys will be blessed by that. But tonight, hopefully we can be blessed a little bit by looking at the book of Luke and some of the, the, the follows or the, the commands or the charges to some of the first followers of Christ and what that looked like. What did it look like to follow Christ? Jesus is walking around and he's starting to call people and the call is, is urgent. The call is very important to them and he starts calling to them and it's amazing kind of their responses. And so we're going to kind of look at some of those this evening and look at what does it mean to follow Christ? As we're considering being risk takers in this world, putting our faith on the line, are we considering the cost when it comes to following Christ? Are we doing a good job of saying, Yes, I'm following Christ. I'm taking that call. I'm taking that charge from Christ just as he called his first followers. And I'm going to follow in his footsteps as well. I know we just said a prayer, but let's say a prayer again as we open up the word and as we call the spirit, allow him to kind of be a part of this. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for all that you give us. And thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to look at your word, God. And to follow the word, Jesus Christ, God. And I just pray that this, this evening and all things that we do together, God, um, doing fun things, you know, in the youth center and the family center and celebrating an adoption, these amazing things that this church family gets to be a part of, God, that we are spurring one another on, that we're urging and encouraging those around us, God, to follow in your footsteps, to follow in Christ's footsteps more and more, God. Help us to consider the cost. Help us to consider what it looks like to follow you. Thank you, God. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You know, we're very risk averse. We're very risk averse in our country, in our world, not just our, in our country, right? We do a lot of things to make sure that we're not going to take risks. And I know this because the insurance market is ginormous. If you have ever had to purchase insurance, you know this because you were paying out the wazoo for it, right? Just some numbers, and I am by no means, if there's an insurance agent in here, not trying to step on your business. One of my best friends in Weatherford is an insurance agent, great guy. My college minister was an insurance agent before he was a college minister. So I understand insurance can be a good thing, but it can also impact the way that we're living. It can impact the way that we, our faith, right? Just some numbers about insurance. These are stats from 2020, and this is taken from iii.com, which is Insurance uh, Institute, I can't remember what the last I is. There's a few I's in there. Look them up later. But property and casualty insurance in our country, which consists mainly of auto, homeowners, commercial insurance, net premiums in 2020, $652.8 billion. That is a lot of insurance premiums, folks. Another one, the life and annuity insurance sector of insurance, okay? Which that's going to take um, accident, health, and life insurance. $624 billion in one year. That amounts to $1.28, give or take, 20, or $1.28 trillion in one given year. Think we're risk averse? 
think we're trying not to take risks so much in, in our world, saying, well, we always are going to have insurance. We're always going to have a backup plan. We're always going to have a safety net. Maybe even our savings account can become that at times, right? These are not bad things, but if we allow those types of, of, of aversion, that aversion to risk, that avoidance of risk, if we allow that to become, our, become part of our faith, it's going to change the way that we follow Christ. It's going to change the way that we are Christ followers and Christians and disciples. Like I said, the insurance market in itself is not a bad thing, but it can change and it does undoubtedly change the way that we follow Christ. I said we're going to look at Luke. Turn to Luke 5 to start. We're going to look at a few different accounts of people following, people being called to follow Christ. We're going to start in Luke 5. The first followers that are called by Christ to follow him. Verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10. For he, verse 9 actually, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now the Matthew account of this story is a little different. For one, Andrew's there. So we have Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Okay, we have the sons of Zebedee, and we have Simon and Andrew, and it seems like they're kind of working separately. Here it almost feels like they're working together. But either way, they're at the Sea of Galilee, and the Galilee is a fisher's town. That's where fishers go. That's their identity, okay? Everything about people in Galilee is about fish. That's who you are. That's who you are, okay? Your status, everything you do, everything you're about, fisherman, okay? Matthew... Uh, the, the account of Matthew talks about how there's two different groups, like I said. It seems like one of them, the sons of Zebedee, actually own the business, perhaps. So a very lucrative business. The other two, perhaps, are just workers in the field, Simon and Andrew. But either way, Christ comes and he calls them and he, they just immediately drop everything. They immediately give up everything that they have and they just go. They leave their boats. They leave their property. They're going to leave their families They're going to leave their lucrative business. They're going to leave their very identity behind in order to follow Christ. Now, did they consider what that meant? Did they consider everything that went into that decision? I'm not really sure. But when Christ came a knocking, they were like, yeah, we're going to go. It was that important for them to do it immediately. That's how the first followers of Christ Jesus and his revolution, that's what they do. You think they got workers comp? You think they got an insurance that they can pull out just in case this whole, this whole deal doesn't go right? What if this business of following Jesus isn't as lucrative as the business of following fishing? What if this deal isn't as good as all it's cracked up to be? Maybe it's a little scary. Maybe they get into it and they think to themselves, this is not what I was meant for. This is not my purpose. I want to get out of this. But they don't do that. They can't do that. They meet Christ and immediately Everything about them changes. Looking down a little bit in chapter 5 again, verse 27 and 28. We're going to meet a guy named Levi. Now Levi is also known as Matthew. We don't really know why he has two names. But it's the same Matthew that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. The first book of the New Testament. It's possible that Levi is his Jewish name and Matthew is his Greek name. It's possible that Matthew is what Jesus called him. We're not really sure, but this is the same person, Levi, known as Matthew. In fact, in Matthew's account, he calls himself Matthew. And in Luke and Mark's account, they call him Levi. In verse 27 then, chapter 5. So he already called the first followers. Now he's making his way to Levi Matthew. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. A tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees lumped the tax collectors in with the sinners. Did you catch that? In fact, Jesus in other places 
lumps together the tax collectors and the sinners. Why does he do that? Maybe you know, but the tax collectors are very bad people. These are Jews. Matthew is a Jew working for the Roman Empire. The same Roman Empire that is enslaving his people, he is working for that empire. Against his own people, betraying his own people, telling them, I would rather take money from you than help you be successful in this place. See, tax collectors were known as thieves. They were known as liars. They skimmed off the top. They were told what they needed to collect, and they would go to the Jews and say, actually, you owe this much, and they would just take it. They would keep it. This is an amazing call from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He shows up to Matthew, and yes, Matthew is probably thinking to himself, man, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I mean, I'm I'm putting some words there, but we don't know really the mindset of Matthew, but it seems like he maybe is a little bit over what he's doing. Because he immediately drops all of that. And when he does that, he drops his status. He drops his identity. And let's be honest, this is not a good political move. This is not a business savvy decision that he makes. He's given up finances. He's given up rewards. He's given up status in the Roman Empire. He's given up safety, perhaps. He's giving up comfort, perhaps. He's giving up so much in order to follow Christ. He considered the cost... He thought about the risk and he said, it's better that I follow Christ. It's better that I follow Christ. We got to think about the cost when we're considering about considering following Christ. What all that means, everything that goes into it. Yes, he calls us from our sin. Yes, it's freeing and it's liberating. But at the same time, it should change the way that we work and how we live and we are in this world. If we're going to be followers of Christ... We actually have to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And sometimes that means taking a huge risk. Looking back and saying, I can't live that way anymore. I can't be a part of that group anymore. I can't do what those people are doing anymore. I can't be living like that. I can't be treating people like that. I can't be seeing people like that. Following Christ means seeing all people as children of God. Following Christ means grace and grace upon grace. Matthew gives up his wealth. Yes, he gives up his sin, which is beautiful. But he gives up all so much because that's what Christ requires of him. That's what he must relinquish in order order to follow him. And you see what happened right after? What does Jesus do? What does Matthew do? Perhaps it's Matthew, perhaps it's Jesus. But either way, there's a celebration. There's a party that goes on at Matthew's house. It says that he was the one that put on the party. But is that Jesus that's working through him? I think so. Is it this new call that's making him live a different way? And who's invited to this party? It's not the Romans. It's the tax collectors. It's the Jews like him that have betrayed their own people. It's the sinners. It's the ones that are also living in the same place that Matthew did. Perhaps, perhaps, Jesus calls Matthew because he knows my access to the tax collectors, my access to the sinners is through Matthew, through Levi. The way that I can get to those people is through that person. If you ever think about an access card, I don't really have any special access cards to our building. But I, when I walked in here, Tucker did a little fancy thing that he did, in some, some sort of fob, and it got him in here. I don't have that fob, unfortunately. Maybe some of you do. I can't come and work here. I can't just show up and say, I'm an employee here now. It's not going to work. Whatever your access card is, Maybe it's to a workplace. Maybe it's to a gym. Maybe it's just a student ID. Maybe it's an ID, employee ID of some sort. It's an access point. And when you start following Christ, that access point also needs to be relinquished to Christ. You follow him in that access point, And that's how Christ works through you. You start taking big risks in your business place. You start taking big risks with your friend groups. Risks that maybe don't make you look so popular or so fortunate. Or so wealthy. Risks that make you say, I'm going to live differently so that these tax collectors, so that these sinners, so that these people can come to know Christ. Just as Jesus did with Matthew. Turn over a couple chapters now to Luke 9. Luke 9. Christ at this point pretty much has all of his followers. We don't get all the stories. We don't get how he called Bartholomew. I was, we, uh, we're in VBS week here in Weatherford. And uh, so I only, I only had to go on Monday, which was great. Thank you for calling me to be here. Um, love VBS, not my dig. But um, 
we sang this new song that I never learned. It goes to the tune of Jesus Loves Me, But You Name All the Apostles. Anybody ever heard this one? It's fine. But we sang Bar- Bartholomew, and all, this, all the kids were like, who's Bartholomew? And we're like, yeah, we don't really hear much about Bartholomew, do we? We don't get a lot of, like, this is how Jesus called Bartholomew. We don't really know that story. But by this point in chapter 9, he has his 12. Okay, chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together... He gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 3, he told them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This is what the followers, the original 12, had to do in order to follow Christ. They had to leave their comfort. They had to leave their bag. They had to leave their money. They had to leave their possessions. Everything that we talked about up to this point. We had to relinquish it all, not knowing where we're going to go, not knowing what we're going to eat, not knowing where we're going to sleep, all for the name of Christ. And the people that we have to go talk to, the towns that we're going to go to, they're their towns. Yes, they ended up going to other places, but they started in their towns, in their places. They met with their neighbors. They met with their family members. What do you think their family members told them about their new job, their new calling, their new purpose? You think mom and dad were really excited that they all of a sudden gave up their trade, gave up their fishing business or whatever else they were doing to follow this Rabbi? Probably not. But they knew this is something different. This is the same call to us. We sometimes read these stories, we read these examples, and we're like, man, glad I don't have to do that, right? I'm glad I can take an extra shirt. I got a bag. I can pack whatever I want. In fact, I got an extra pair just in case, right? I got food. I know I can stop and get whatever food I need. I told Tucker I'm getting old. I no longer like to stop at convenience stores and like buy a $2 or $3 drink. I bring them from my house and just put them in a cooler because I spent like 33 cents on it. It's much better. Like I have everything I need. I can go as far as I need to and have everything at my disposal. I don't have to leave my possessions. I don't have to leave my business beside me or behind me. I can call my family whenever I want. When we moved to Brazil... It was pretty awesome. I could FaceTime my family when I needed to. Now, they were, I missed my family. Don't get me wrong, my friends. But there was a lot of, I still have connection to you. I still have a way to contact you. They didn't have that. They didn't have that to, to the, the, the ability that we have. This is the call that they had to take on. This is the cost of following this new rabbi, this new leader, this new revolution. And it was risky. Look down now to chapter 9. We're going to stay in chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. What's crazy about Luke, what's crazy about Luke is that he gives us all of these calls. And then he gives us these examples like this one. And we realize, well, not everybody actually chose to follow Christ the way that these 12 crazy people did. These 12 radicals did, perhaps. Verse 57 of chapter 9. As they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Let me stop for a minute. The Son of Man has no place to lay their heads. The animals, they got a place to go. I don't know where I'm going tonight. You sure you want to come? I want you to come, but are you sure you want to follow? Consider the cost. Consider the risk. Consider everything you're saying. Words are strong, but your actions are more powerful. Verse 59, he said to another man, this is more like the other calls that he did, follow me, come after me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This is a tough one. It's a tough one. I gotta be honest. The holiest, uh, the holiest thing, the most important thing, the most sacred thing a male can do in Jewish families is bury his own father. Be there, be present when your father dies. Lead that. Be available to your family. Take over 
as the new patriarch of the family is kind of what's happening. And Jesus says, I get it. I know that that's important, but following me is way more, way more important. It's way more crucial. Let the dead bury their own dead. I'm only here for a little while. In fact, he's only here for three years. Now, they didn't know that. Three years, that's it. Follow me. Well, let me first. How often do we say that? And then verse, continuing, verse uh, 61. Still another said, third guy, I will follow you. This guy's bold, I like it. Lord, but, well, not so bold anymore. First, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. For these three men, the cost was too great. The risk was too much. They were buying insurance. They were averting this risk. I know it's important to follow you. I know I need to do it now, but I got to take care of some other things first. How often do I do that? How often do we do that? I got to be honest, I do it. Let me first take care of this Christ. Let me first do this Christ. N.T. Wright in his commentary, Luke for Everyone, says this about these three men. He says, many who see Jesus think it would be a fine thing to follow him. Are there times in your life when you just think it's a fine thing to follow Christ? He goes on to say, and T. Wright goes and he says, they want to follow, but they have conditions attached. Do we have conditions attached to the way that we follow, to the way that we are called to follow? I know you're calling me, Christ. I know you're calling me, God. But Lord, I don't know if I'm ready, or I got to take care of this, or I got to do that. Let me get rid of this sin. Let me make sure that. He's just calling. And the answer is for us to make the decide to go or not. N.T. Wright also says, where is Jesus is asking us to travel, where Jesus is asking us to go is not about yesterday, but it's about right now. It's about tomorrow. Are you ready to follow him wherever he goes is what he's saying. See, with this last example where Christ says, he says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. We don't quite understand that all the time. Now, I, where I live now in Weatherford, more people understand that because now I work or uh, I minister to a lot of ranchers. But I'd never done that before this. But even then, they don't fully understand it either. There's no way you can plow a straight line looking behind you. Immediately, when you look behind you, you're already crooked. You can't do it. There's no way to move forward, to be with Christ looking behind you. And too often in my life, too often in our lives, too often in our culture, we're looking back. We're letting the sin of our past catch us up. We're letting the ways that we lived catch us up. We're letting the things behind us get in the way of following Christ. And Christ is saying, don't. You can't do anything about that. Give it to him and follow me. Turn over now to Luke 18. There was another man that didn't quite want to say yes to the call of following Jesus. We know this story really well. But I'm afraid too often that this is the definition of our culture. This is the definition of me at times. This is the definition of Christians in a rich nation. Okay? Verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man, all these I have kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Then who can be saved? Jesus replied, Was impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Another man, 
another example that considered the cost, that considered the risk of giving it all up. I followed all the commands. I did so many good things. I took care of people. I honored my mother and father. I promise you, I valued life around me. One thing you still lack, give it all up. Give that thing up that's keeping you from plowing ahead straight. There's something that's making you look back. There's something that's catching you up. And it's keeping you from following me. So often we read these stories and the next one that we're going to read in a minute, we think of our sin. And yes, oftentimes it's our sin that is in the way. It's our sin that's a barrier. But I think Christ oftentimes was also saying, the sin problem I'm going to take care of. I already did, in fact, on the cross. All you have to do is follow me. Consider the cost, take the risk, and follow in my footsteps. That's all it is. Follow my voice just as I called you, just as I called the sheep as the good shepherd. One more passage. This is probably my favorite one, Luke 14. I know we've been bouncing around a little bit, but Luke 14. This one is kind of the crux. When Tucker asked me to do this, um, I first said, I'll do Ruth. I love the story of Ruth. And he said, well, somebody already got it. I'm like, well... Then I'm going to do the cost, because that's my favorite. This is probably my favorite section of Scripture. Luke 14, verse 25 through 33. Luke 14, verse 25 through 33. We're going to break it down a little bit. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, all right, pause. We already got to talk about something. There is a large crowd following Jesus. There are people there that are saying, saying, With their voice, we want to follow you. Saying with their voice, we will follow you. Okay? And Christ, in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now we get hung up on the word hate for good reason. It's not a great translation. All Christ is saying is, if you're going to put those people in front of the relationship with me, you can't be my disciple. It's me first, and then everything else flows from that. In fact, if you follow me well, the relationship you have with your mother, the relationship you have with your father, the relationship you have with your children and your wife and your husband, it's going to be better. It's going to be healthier. Follow me first, though. I got to be first. I got to be first. You know, when I think about a large crowd, if I was speaking to a large crowd, if I was speaking to 3,000 people, if I was filling up Dallas Stadium, okay? What's it called, AT&T? I don't know. Whatever it's called, AT&T Stadium. What would I talk about? I'd probably talk about grace. I'd probably talk about love. I'd probably talk about the good things that Christ did. I probably wouldn't turn to this passage, although now I would because of this. But I probably wouldn't think first. I'm going to start talking about you need to hate you gotta, you got to put me in front of. you got to put me in front of. That's not the first words I would say, but that's what Jesus does. That's what he does to this large crowd. Verse 27, it gets even more real. Verse 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now we understand what's going to happen at the cross, right? These people do not understand what's going to happen at the cross. The only thing they hear is, You're telling me we may have to die the worst possible death that Rome can put on us? You're telling me nails through my feet? You're telling me nails through my hands? You're telling me the worst of the worst, everyone mocking me? That? I may have to do that if I follow you? I'm out. The large crowd has already dwindled. There's no way it's the same group that was there just a few minutes ago. He's already lost half the crowd. And you know what? Christ is not like worried about it. He's not thinking, oh, I got to say something really good now. Because he doesn't. Verse 28, suppose one of you, he gives them some examples. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. The college minister before me, his name's Jake Robinson, that uh, Tucker... Elizabeth really not, didn't get to know so much, but Tucker was under for a little while. 
He now builds houses. He still lives in Weatherford, still goes to church there. I love him to death. He's a great guy. He builds houses. And if, his name's Jake. If Jake all of a sudden left his, his business of being a college minister to build houses, and the first house he puts up, he puts a sign out there, Jacob Robinson Homes, and it doesn't get built. It's just a foundation. Everyone at church is going to be like, why did you leave that old gig? What are you doing with this? Are you actually working? We're going to mock him. We're going to make fun of him behind his back. I mean, not so harshly, but we're going to say things like, what is going on with Jacob and his house building business? This is what Christ is saying. Don't come after me if you can't build the whole thing. Don't come after me. Don't be my follower. I don't want halfway disciples. I don't want foundation disciples. I want houses. I want towers. I want it all. Consider the cost, though. It's a big risk, but it's super worth it. Continuing, one more example. Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Got to think about it. A king has a whole kingdom. And he's about to either lose it all or he can send terms of peace and say, you know what? Maybe it's not best to go to war. Maybe it's not best to go to battle. We can figure this out. Consider the cost. Consider the cost of actually following me is what he's saying. Don't go into battle with me if you're not ready to go the whole way. And my battle, Christ is saying, my battle looks a lot different. It's a battle built on peace. It's a battle built on love. It's a battle built on grace. It's a battle built on the cross. And he just mentioned a few words previously. Verse 33 gets gets a little hairy here. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Everything you have. I want it all. Large crowd, dozens of people probably. Because the large crowd had been fed. They had been fed bread previously. They got the loaves. They got the fish. They got the goods from Jesus Christ from the king, from the master, from the savior, from the Lord. And now he's like, I'm not just going to feed you. I'm not just giving you handouts. You're not just following me just to get the goods of, my, of me. You got to have it all. You got to give it all up. Everything you have, everything you are, your very identity is now wrapped up in my name. Your very purpose is now me and glorifying me. Telling all of the around you, going into towns and leaving it all behind. Your family, let the, bury, let the dead bury their own dead. All of it. Follow me. It's a risk, but I promise you, it's going to bring you life and life to the full is what he says later, right? We're so blessed. We get the full picture. These, these followers, they just get some words here and there. Now, the ones that were there all the time, they got it all. And how awesome would that be, right? But there were many that probably weren't there for every single step that Jesus walked. They couldn't have been. They just weren't. We get it all. And yet sometimes, somehow, I still say, I don't know that I want that. I don't know that I want that. Perhaps you're the same. Perhaps that's the aversion to the risk of our faith. Maybe that's why we're saying I don't know that I want to do it. We're, aver- we're, we're, we're so scared. We so want insurance to say, to pick us up when it doesn't go right, to cover us when it doesn't go right, that we start saying, I don't know if I can go that way. I'm going to keep looking behind me, and all of a sudden we get off track. All of a sudden we're not following him the way that we need to. I was playing golf recently. I do very much enjoy a round of golf. And... Uh, you know, when I was a youth minister, the summertime is the time to play golf, and I didn't get to play a lot of golf. As a college minister, June is a little more open, so I try to play a little bit more golf. Um, and I was playing golf recently, with a, and I got paired up with a father-son duo. Not, I mean, not a really young son. He was about, the, the father was 77, dad was about, the son was about, I don't know, in his 50s or something like that. And they're asking me what I do, and I love getting paired up with people. I love getting paired up with people because it just gives me a chance to talk to people. I'm a talker. I want to talk. I want to get to know people. 
So I'm getting to know them, and they're asking me what I do, and I'm telling them. This is like hole three. They always ask me, what do you do? And if they'd already been cussing on hole one and two and stuff like that, they're like, ooh, now I've got to watch my tongue. These ones were not having to do that, which is good. But by hole three, they're like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. Twelve holes roll by, hole 15. And the dad comes over to me, the father, and he says, so uh, what, kind of, what kind of message do you, do you teach as a college minister? I think he thinks that I'm like working on the campus, which I don't. I'm like, well, it's a, it's a public school, so I don't work on campus. We have a student center on campus, and, you know, we preach Christ. We talk about Christ, and the word is Christ, and that's what we talk about most, okay? That's what we're trying to aim people towards. And he's like, oh, so you're a believer. Um, I just said that, so yes, I am a believer. And immediately I started thinking, being a believer is great, but I'm a follower. That's really what I am. And I'm not trying to tell him that he's a bad person. I'm not trying to say that's a bad question. I'm not trying to lift myself up by saying that. But when we start having the mindset of, I'm a believer, it kind of has some attachments with it, right? It keeps us from really following. It keeps us from really making some difficult choices, putting some risks on the line, considering the cost of everything it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ's. I wish I would have been firmer with him. I wish I would have said, I'm a follower, and let me tell you more about that. I didn't think about it until we, I got in my car and just thought more about that question. Sometimes I think we are too quick to believe and not quick enough to follow. And if you remember what James said about, about believing in, verse, in James 2.19, do you remember it? Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe and shudder, but the demons aren't following. The ways of this world that we live in is to believe. But believing's not enough. It's not a risk. It's easy to say it with our mouth, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. But following, changing the way that we live, doing things the way that Christ would have done it, saying things the way that Christ would have said it, leading the way that Christ would have led giving access to your place of work, access to your places that you go, your baseball team, your sports team, your friend group, whatever it is, giving that over to Christ and saying, use this because this is yours as well. I'm giving up this as well. My status, it's not important, Christ. My status is as a follower of yours and everything else is secondary. The wealth that I've accrued, my, my, my awesome business, everything I have, whatever it is, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my goals, They're all focused on you. You are my purpose and I will follow you. That's our call. That's the risk that we're charged with in this world. I think I'm going to close this out with a prayer. Do we have anything else? Let me close out with a prayer. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to be here with you this evening. Um, I'd love to meet as many of you as I can. I love Tucker and Elizabeth. I love what they're doing here. Um, Tucker and Elizabeth both were, were interns of mine. And so they helped lead our ministry group, our student group. And uh, I just think the world of them. I know they're doing great here. And thank you guys so much for continuing to mentor them and bless them uh, here in West Irwin. Let's say a prayer. God, I thank you so much for calling us. For calling us your children. For calling us your sons. For calling us your, your daughters. For calling us to be saved. For calling us to be redeemed. For calling us your sheep. And for calling us your followers. God, help us to understand that the call was not just for 12 fishermen way back when. That the call of being a disciple and a follower was not just when Christ was on the earth, but it extends to now. It extends in the future to the people that are coming after this point, God. God, we look forward to being with you someday, but until that day, help us to follow you here on earth. Help us to realize that eternity with you starts now. We can't worry about yesterday. We can't even worry about tomorrow so much, God. Help us just to give it all to you and allow you to transform us and allow you to be our purpose and our goal and change the way of our hearts and our lives and our minds. Father, we love you so much. We love you so much. We want to follow in your son's footsteps. Help us to be more like him. Send your spirit upon us, God, to be struck to the heart. God, I need it. I need to be struck to the heart as well. Help all of us in this room, help all of us in this world who are trying to follow you, who are maybe even saying, I believe, but I don't know if I want to follow God. Help us 
to be changed, to be transformed by the goodness and love and grace of your Savior, Jesus Christ, of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you so much. I'm thankful for this congregation. I pray that you continue to empower them to do amazing things in this city, amazing things in this region. We love you, God. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.